do cops even use RPGs or something like it? No, no. Just I'm going to ignore that you even asked me that. Dark secret place. This radioactivity is coming from Brian Suits on KFI. I would bomb the shit out of him. Dark secret place with Brian Suits on KFI. KFI AM640, more stimulating talk. It is the dark secret place here, Memorial Day 2018. Brian sits in here until midnight, the stroke of midnight. And uh, next hour, by the way, uh, as, as usual here on Memorial Day, we are being bombarded with uh, war movies on Turner Classic and TNT and TBS and FX and FXX. And I got, I got sucked into the midway hole earlier today. Um, and um, thoughts on that next hour, but, but one of the worst war movies ever made with a phenomenal cast. That's all I can say. Charlton Heston, Henry Fonda, James Coburn, Eric Estrada. Yes. Eric Estrada. Um, with James Coburn. <laughs> yes. He's Eric Estrada is like a uh, torpedo, pi- torpedo bomber pilot. Number three, like AIDS 21. Oh uh, yeah. And of course, <laughs> like his name is like Zamparelli. You know, he can't be Hispanic. <laughs> he is an Italian, I believe. But, uh, but, uh, uh it, it just, uh, I missed that one. A f- phenomenal true story, badly told with bad effects. Please remake it. But more on that next hour. Also, movies, a couple war movies that should never, ever, ever be touched. One in particular, <clears throat> by the way, that that just came out perfect. Came out perfect um, when it when it came out, unappreciated, unheralded, but a launching pad for so many stars. And and to this day, one of my absolute favorite war movies of all time. Of all time, Kelly's Heroes. Okay, there I said it. So anyway, just don't remember. I'll, I'll get to that uh, next hour, uh, and a couple interesting war stories um, here for Memorial Day. And let me let me start with my rant. By the way, we will get to the developments uh, that are still developing. Uh, by the way, it's uh, it's the uh, uh, mid afternoon on the Korean Peninsula, and um, the Korean President Moon Jae-in uh, met. Uh, this time, he drove into North Korea. And met with Kim Jong-un, and this is a emergency meeting. And then he gave a press conference, 7 a.m. Seoul time, which was about 3 p.m. our time. And I'll, I'll tell you what all this means uh, as, as uh, it, it, it appears that uh, there's going to be a summit. But there's still miscommunication. We'll, uh, we will definitely get to that here in a second. But first of all, my annual reminder that Memorial Day is not Veterans Day. Veterans Day is the 11th of November or whatever weekday falls closest to that. You'll know it's Veterans Day when I'm filling in for John and Ken. <clears throat> um, and also you'll know it's Memorial Day because Monday I'm filling in for John and Ken. Uh, and literally I was talking to the boss, and that's what we call her, um, that literally Monday is my the 10th anniversary of me filling in for John and Ken on Memorial Day. Memorial Day commemorates the fallen. Okay. Memorial Day um, is is the uh, federally recognized, uh, congressionally mandated date in the federal calendar and the national calendar set aside for official commemorations to appreciate the sacrifice of those 
who fell in battle or in service to our country. Okay. That's what it is. So you don't walk up to uh, veterans or whoever and say, hey, happy Memorial Day, unless you're like selling me a freaking mattress. Okay. I don't begrudge you for that. I do not. I mean, um, part of what we fought for was our system here, wasn't it? But for the ones who didn't come back, that's what Memorial Day uh, is for. And of course, there's, there's official observances all around the Southland um, uh, tomorrow and Monday uh, as well. Uh, there's nothing stopping you from going to the National Cemetery there in Westwood. No, is there? Or the one in Riverside uh, or, or whatever. So anyway, that's what Memorial Day is. Uh, and so if you have kids... And they think that Memorial Day is, like I did as a kid, an excuse for a three-day holiday. You know, at least, you know, sit down and tell them what Memorial, what Memorial Day is and what, what it commemorates uh, and all that. Our, our lieutenant governor sent out a tweet on Friday talking about all of the uh, help he's going to offer to California's veterans. He said, on this Memorial Day, here's what I'm going to be doing for California's veterans. And I pointed out to him, I, I don't think you quite understand what Memorial Day commemorates there. But nice hair. Uh, so anyway, that's what Memorial Day is. <clears throat> uh, so if uh, the person you're thanking is not dead, then you're not thanking the correct person. So uh, there, uh, there, there is that. However, November 11th is right around the corner. And feel free to thank veterans uh, at that point or current service members uh, for Veterans Day, which again, November 11th, November 11th. So uh, there's that. Well, so I don't know how far to go back. Remember when when last we met uh, here last Saturday, I was talking to you about what the Libya model is. Uh, the Libya model of denuclearization is what Muammar Gaddafi did after we overthrew Saddam in 2003. He called the UN and he said, please get to Libya. I'm going to dismantle my nuclear program, which is more advanced than you ever thought it was. And you can certify me as denuclearized. That was the Libya model. When a reporter asked Trump about it, Trump thought that meant the overthrow of Gaddafi. And he completely misinterpreted it, and he said, no, we're not talking about the Libya model because Libya was decimated and all that. Uh, that led to the North Koreans wondering, who the hell is uh, speaking officially for this administration? Um, because to the North Korean leader, Kim Jong-un, uh, the Libya model is not a good model. That's the model where you wind up being yanked out of an irrigation ditch violated anally with a piece of rebar, and then shot in the head. Not a good outcome, okay? Not a good final slide for the PowerPoint of your life. So, so the North Koreans at that point uh, got hostile. And then what happened? Uh, Trump issued uh, an official letter around uh, 8 a.m. Pacific time on Thursday saying that the upcoming summit on June 12th, 2018 in Singapore is now off. We can't participate because of the intemperate language coming from North Korea and, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The North Koreans reacted, calling Vice President Trump an idiot, uh, Vice President Pence an idiot, you know, the whole thing. Trump issues this letter to His Excellency Kim Jong-un, um, and it was a respectful letter. It was uh, clearly dictated and, and possibly uh, uh, edited and modified. But in it, he says, we have a bigger nuclear arsenal. Don't play this game. Uh, you and I were dialoguing so well. We were getting along. You know how to contact me. It was crystal clear. And I was at uh, Bravery Brewing for News and Brews with Gary and Shannon. <clears throat> and I said this on Thursday uh, because as I was watching the mainstream media, Andrea Mitchell and MSNBC, Wolf Blitzer, the rest of these, these dotards, as the North Koreans say, uh, watching them misinterpret what that letter was, it was crystal clear to me that the summit wasn't off. 
um, that this this was, as I've been saying for two weeks, this was walking off the used car lot in spectacular fashion with that letter. Um, and so by the end of the day, by the end of Thursday, the North Koreans had has said, had indicated, yes, we are willing to talk to the United States. So we're back on. So then the president of South Korea uh, unannounced meets with Kim Jong-un a few hours ago. Uh, then he has a press conference. So what was the outcome? I'll tell you all about this. Where are we with this nuclear summit? What are the goals of both sides? I'll spell it out for you, and you can you can put it in stone when we come back. It is a dark secret place. Brian Suits uh, in here until midnight, Memorial Day weekend, KFI, AM640, more stimulating talk. Six forty more stimulating talk. Jay and the Americans, everybody, how you doing? Uh, Memorial Day, two thousand eighteen, and uh, in here till midnight. Next hour, we'll uh, take apart some some shibboleths, some uh, beloved uh, war movies. And I'll tell you why they're horrid, and I'll tell you about the ones that should never be touched because they're perfect. They came out perfect. Um, so, uh, yeah, there'll be a lot of observances tomorrow and Monday. So go through your local, uh, papers or websites to check out where that is. Uh, there are, uh, some, some prominent national cemeteries, uh, around here, like I say, Riverside. And then, uh, probably the most public one that most people see is the one there in Westwood at the VA. As you drive North on 405, um, you look over to, uh, past Wilshire or whatever that is. Yeah. Wilshire <clears throat> look to your right. You see that national c- cemetery there. So I'll tell you about, uh, that next hour. Um, and so the events are piling up out of South Korea. The uh, you, you know this first. When the president released that letter at 8 a.m. Uh, Pacific time on Thursday, uh, meanwhile in Korea, it was past 11 p.m., President Moon of South Korea, who, by the way, you can follow on Twitter, and I'm not making this up. His official Twitter feed is Moon Moon River 365. Moon River 365. That is the president of South Korea, Moon Jae-un. He called his National Security Council to the Blue House, which is the South Korean White House, uh, after 11, um, which indicates, by the way, that they didn't know this was coming. Uh, the South Koreans are a good, good ally. They didn't say anything out loud. Privately? They said WTF, but in Korean. And they had to get the White House on the horn. Uh, they talked to Mattis. They talked to Pompeo. And, and Mike Pompeo, as uh, director of the CIA, as well as now uh, Secretary of State, has, has actually developed a pretty good relationship with President Moon of South Korea and Kim Jong-un in North Korea. So it was Pompeo, evidently, who got on the phone and said, Trust me on this. We know what we're doing. It's a thing. We know we're not really canceling the summit, you know, the whole deal. And so the other thing that President Moon did immediately was go through their recently established channels and talk directly to Kim Jong Un. And he said, "We need to meet uh time now, earliest possible convenience." So what happened a couple hours ago was uh President Moon in uh, in South Korea, drove to the DMZ, the Treaty Village, where he met Kim. Remember last month, there was that dramatic video 
Uh, for the first time ever, the uh, the leader of North Korea meets uh, elected president of South Korea. Kim crosses over the line. He pulls Moon back over into North Korea. Then they, you know, go back into South Korea. So that's where they met. But this time, President Moon drove into North Korea. He drove across the uh, the JSA, the Joint Security Area, over the border into North Korea. Um, this was not announced in the way that he disguised it from his own media was that he he went in a silver Mercedes. They always look for the big E-type, E-series, gigantic, or C-series, black Mercedes, 500. Um, but he went in a different vehicle, so the Korean media didn't catch that he went up north and crossed the DMZ, their treaty village, and met with Kim for uh, a couple hours, evidently. And then at 7 a.m., around 3 p.m., 3 p.m. hour time, Pacific Coast time, he gave a press conference, and in the press conference, uh, he again used the term full denuclearization. Now, um, this requires parsing and translation. Um, and uh, but he but but President Moon almost doubled down and was uh, specifically clear that Kim Jong Un uh, said this time that he wants to denuclearize. Meanwhile, just about two hours ago, the primary North Korean propaganda organ, KCNA, Korean Central News Agency, they released a long diatribe, and it was fresh out of Marxism 101 40 years ago, all about how the imperialists try to lure you in with their sweet words and their silken tongue, uh, and uh, they try to distract you from your goal of destroying imperialism and all this crap. And it was right out of old school communism. Um, a, a lot of people took it seriously and said, well, there goes your denuclearization. I guess they're saying no. Eh, no, no, no. It, it, for internal propaganda, the North Koreans are turning up, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of confirming to their people that nothing is different. Don't worry. We have the capitalists where we want them. We're still f- firing away with our invective. Trust us. We know what we're doing. And besides, we're in charge anyway. Like we listen to you guys, you folks anyway. So ignore what the Korean agitprop is doing. They're, they're reacting the way they always do. Uh, but the, the thing that I tweeted out on, uh, on, on Thursday that, the, that effectively um, don't take at face value the president's letter. He walked off the used car lot. The used car salesman came back and said, what does it take to get you back in this baby? The whole thing. And in this, in this case, almost Kim Jong-un and Trump are both uh, the buyers, they're, they're both trying to buy something. It's like two used car dealers trying to sell each other a car. They both want the other car. They just don't know what, what the price is going to be. <clears throat> what they don't know is that they can just trade the cars. Um, and so what is the script? Well, June 12th is going to happen. One of the things that uh, you haven't heard reported is that the American Advance Party, the security party for Singapore, they're already there. And they were not told to pack their bags and leave on Thursday. That letter came out, uh, and they're booked. They're booked until um, mid-June. They did not unbook. They didn't leave. That would have been a sure thing. If the, if the summit was off, they would have packed up, but they didn't pack up. They continued security preparations. So that was a big tell. You just didn't hear that tell. I knew that tell. No one else saw that tell. Um, so the summit will probably happen on June 12th, unlike other summits where it's months of prep work. Then the leaders meet, and they shake hands and sign something. This is going to be almost backwards. These two guys have the same style. They want to go to Singapore and do the broad strokes and then leave the short strokes to their staff. They, they each want the splash because, like I told Gary and Shannon, 
this is important to both sides. So what will an agreement look like? What will the next uh, two weeks, two and a half weeks look like? I'll script this out for you right after this. Uh, Brian Suits in here. Dark Secret Place uh, until midnight uh, next hour. War movies and war stories. Uh, then more coming up. KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. It is the Dark Secret Place. Brian Suits in here. Until midnight, uh, next hour we'll talk uh, war movies and uh, and stuff. Uh, also coming up, uh, the New York Times did a Freedom of Information Act search uh, and got more details on th- that uh, attack by Russian mercenaries back in February. If you recall, I was telling you about this thing, uh, this the, this incident in February where we killed about 250 Russians uh, who who don't work for the Russian Ministry of Defense, or do they? They're there as private contractors, but this provides Putin with deniability uh, back in Moscow, where he can say, oh, no, we're not losing troops in combat because these aren't officially troops. But anyway, I'll get to that here in a second. So um, one of the big pieces of news from a few hours ago is that the two Korean leaders, President Moon of South Korea and Kim Jong-un of North Korea, agreed to, quote, meet frequently in the future, close quote, and specifically... Uh, next Friday, June 1st, they'll be meeting again for a, a so-called high-level talk. And this is going to be probably um, uh, the, accompanied with some Americans. That This is going to be prep talk for June 12th. And speaking of next Friday, by the way, uh, Dark Secret Place Trivia is going to be at the Dave & Buster's in Orange on May 31st, Thursday night. Uh, and it's $25 per team. A team is four people or less, maximum of four. Winning team. Uh, gets a hundred bucks. So if you know your military, your uh, military movies and military trivia, then uh, then be there. You can go to the pin tweet at Dark Secret Place, the top tweet there, and uh, your team can sign up. You can get tickets. But next Thursday night at Dave and Buster's in lovely Orange. So come on up from San Diego and represent. So <clears throat> anyway, June first, next Friday is going to be another meeting. Th- this will be. Um, Thursday uh, evening our time. So there might be some headlines coming out of that. But uh, it it is the next meeting, and make no mistake, South Korea wants the summit to take place. North Korea wants the summit to take place, and yes, the guy driving it is President Trump. He wants it to take place, and so what's it going to look like? Well, part of the reason that the letter came out from Trump is that um, he finally fully understood or perceived that the North Koreans are not denuclearizing anything. He turned off Fox— turned off other media outlets, and he realized that the North Koreans uh, never sound. This might confuse it today. Now that President Moon has has doubled down and said, oh, no, Kim said he wants to denuclearize. But he really, he does not. He does not. He wants that meeting on June 12th. But at the meeting of June 12th, he's going to announce, he's going to reiterate, I'm not denuclearizing. We went through too much to develop an ICBM. We went through too much to develop a nuclear weapon that can f- go on the thing. So, no, I'm not giving up Jack. Um, and so because both Trump and Kim want this meeting, because for Kim, it is his coming out party, is it not? He gets center stage in world news. He gets to meet one-on-one with the president of the United States. His dad couldn't do that. Best his dad could do was Madeleine Albright or Bill Richardson. <clears throat> that was the best his dad could do. His grandpa couldn't even hope to do that. 
Um, so Kim Jong-un gets to meet with the president of the United States one-on-one, which is huge. It looks like in North Korea, it'll be portrayed as the president of the United States comes begging. That's how they'll portray it. But who cares how they portray it, right? It's all about outcomes. Um, so one of the things that President Trump is probably understanding now is that there's not going to be an outcome where North Korea gives up their nukes. Here's probably what the script is going to look like. And I even talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that North Korea will agree to uh, complete disclosure of their full nuclear arsenal, and they might even disassemble some warheads if they have more than 20. Um, they will agree to a f- fixed armory, perhaps of you know, wild stab, let's call it 20 missiles with warheads. That that will be their nuclear arsenal. We will recognize them as a nuclear uh, nation. Uh, they'll they will sign the non-proliferation treaty. They will close the barn door after the bulls escaped. Um, but then, in return, uh, what what we do and what they do is we both agree on a no first use policy. So we go to them and we say, "Welcome to the nuclear club." Um, now you like Russia, like China, like Britain, like France, like India, like Pakistan. Now you agree on a no-first-use policy that they're for self-defense only. North Korea says, yeah, whatever. Sure. <laughs> what? I don't know. We don't even know how you spell that. First use, sure. We'll, we'll, we'll sign that. So they sign that. That's all good. Um, we conclude a peace treaty on the Korean Peninsula, which has been uh, officially in a state of war since June of 1950, an armistice from 1953 on. Um, so we conclude a peace treaty or we agree to begin negotiating a peace treaty. And the North Koreans acknowledge that American troops uh, have a right to support our ally in South Korea. That's what happens on June 12th in Singapore. Um, The result is Trump gives a press conference. He gets a Republican Congress reelected in the fall of 2018. And this is, by the way, this is all tied up into one thing. Um, He uh, he gets to return a Republican Congress. He gets reelected in 2020. Um, Now, and, and so effectively, if you're saying, wait a minute, you're talking about moving the goalposts. The goalposts were denuclearized North Korea. Well, yeah. So that letter on Thursday was acknowledging that that game is over. But now we have a new game. We have a new game with new rules. The goalposts are now on the 30. That's it. So now the goalposts are on the 30. That's a touchdown for us. The North Koreans start on the 30. They get to keep nukes. And then, oh, by the way, China says to Kim Jong-un, Look, dude, no haggling. This is the best deal you're going to get. It's a pretty good deal. Say yes to it, and you remain a nuclear power. Um, This is all done, and no more of this silliness, and no more of this reunification talk, which is not going to happen. So it it probably will be a slam dunk. You're going to see more silliness between now and June 12th. But anyway, it is going to happen. All right, when we come back, uh, we killed uh, about 250 Russians back in February. What's that deal? I'll tell you about it right after this. New York Times with new details on the uh, Syria attack by uh, Russian mercenaries and how we responded. It is a dark secret place uh, here for Memorial Day 2018. KFI AM640, more stimulating talk. KFI AM640, more stimulating talk. The dark secret place, Brian Suits, uh, in here until midnight. Uh, next hour, some of my some of my favorite and some of my least favorite war movies, you're seeing those all over TV uh, this weekend, Turner Classic and TBS and FX and everyone, you know, runs uh, war movies. And some of them, some of them are guilty pleasures. 
and others just should never be shown. But I'll I'll run down a, a quick little list uh, on that. Um, so New York Times uh, did a FOIA search and got more details on the February um, uh, attack by Russian mercenaries, Russian private contractors in Syria, on a American-held position, a gas plant outside of Deir Ezzur, Syria. And you remember back in February, I was uh, telling you how on social media, confirmation was uh, was pretty easy to find on in open sources that something happened in Syria that was fairly uh, shocking to the Russian system. The Russians, Vladimir Putin, um, while he has a lot of Russian troops in Syria, the actual Russian troops who work for the Russian Ministry of Defense are generally on the west side of the mountains around the Hamim Air Base or the Tardis Naval Base. There are uh, Air Force personnel. <clears throat> there are some guard guard guys, guard personnel of the base. And then the Russians have MPs that are bombing around Syria. But Russian soldiers themselves, besides uh, specialists, special forces guys, they're not really doing a lot of the combat. However, there is a Russian mercenary company called the Wagner Group. And what they do is they they recruit Russian servicemen who've completed their uh, conscript period. And uh, they tell them up front, you're going to Syria. No, you're going to make 2000 a month U.S., maybe up to 5000 a month U.S., depending on wh- where we put you. They, uh, they put these guys through a shake-and-bake month of sort of basic training refresher, and then off they go. Uh, in these routine flights from uh, Moscow to Damascus. When they get there, um, they're they're given basic nondescript uniform. They're not wearing Russian uniforms. Uh, they're wearing basically Russian, you know, sort of uh, um, Blackhawk, uh, you know, uh, the, the kind of stuff you find at Tactical Pro Shop right here in Burbank. You know, not uniform stuff, but sort of action pants, right? Um, so there's nothing marking them as Russians. And they are organized as platoons and companies and battalions. Uh, they operate armored personnel carriers and tanks, or they operate in conjunction with the Syrians. So back in February, <clears throat> um, a group of these guys, up to 300 Russians, were rolling on this American-guarded gas plant, a Conoco gas plant uh, by the Euphrates River. Uh, in an area that we and the Russians had agreed would be sort of the demarcation line. So it was really unusual to see a bunch of tanks and APCs and dismounts, a bunch of infantry, moving up in the late afternoon into attack position a couple kilometers short of this American position. The American position was manned by Delta Force uh, and Army Rangers. And this is according to the New York Times article uh, from uh, Monday that they got from a FOIA search. Freedom of Information Act. And so the Americans began calling up, saying, hey, uh, there's something in front of us. These guys are getting set to attack. Uh, Who is it? Before we start ordering airstrikes, who are we looking at? So this question goes all the way up to Baghdad, to where the the deconfliction cell is, where there's Russians from the Russian Ministry of Defense, there's Americans from the Pentagon in Baghdad, and we go across the hall and we say, hey, see here on the map, are those your guys? And the Russians said those are not Russian troops. And that got all the way up to Mattis. And they said, hey, Secretary Mattis, there is a uh, combat formation of troops with tanks and armored personnel carriers 
that are a few kilometers short of our American guarded position. Um, if they move forward, what do we do? And Mattis said, annihilate them. So um, <clears throat> every kind of aircraft from from Cotter, from Alu Dade uh, Air Base uh, in Cotter, AC-130s, F-15s, everything took off. Um, Marine artillery that's been there for about a year and a half uh, in Iraq, um, it, it all came together in a pretty astounding display of American firepower. Uh, by 11.30 at night, it was a complete nighttime firefight with artillery, airstrikes, AC-130s, ground launch anti-tank missiles, javelin missiles from us. By 3 a.m., the Russians, as it turns out, broke off contact and retreated. They came back a few hours later and picked up their dead. But that night, back in February, they were on the phone to their girlfriends. They were on Facebook. They were updating their status, saying we're being sniped at and slaughtered by the Americans. And as it turns out, about 250 Russians were killed that night in, in their tussle with about 40 Americans. 40 Americans that you know, brought a couple dozen aircraft with them. So the uh, New York Times confirming what I told you back in February, which was, uh, you know, like I say, pretty easy to find out uh, on on uh, open source media by simply looking at Facebook or the Russian version of Facebook. Uh, all right, next hour, war movies to see, not to miss, and war movies to avoid at all costs. Hour number two, Dark Secret Place, Brian Suits back in a minute. KFI AM640, more stimulating talk. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. Hour number two, The Dark Secret Place. Brian sits in here live until midnight. This hour, we'll, uh, we'll talk war movies because that's what's happening all over your uh, your TV this weekend from Turner Classic to TNT and uh, and everything. Monday, I'm filling in for John and Ken. And uh, by the way, if you think you know your military trivia and your war movies, then Get to the Facebook page, Dark Secret Place. <clears throat> uh, Thursday, Dave and Buster's in Orange, down there in Orange County. Uh, I'll be doing our second Dark Secret Place trivia night. Uh, uh, the A team is four people, maximum of four. Uh, $25 per team, a $100 prize for the winning team. So if you, like I said on Twitter, if you know your Yamato from your Yamamoto, or, or if you know who played Oddball and who played Crap Game, then uh, you'll want to get down there with your buddies uh, or your girlfriends and uh, start the drinking at 7 to 9 at the Orange Dave & Busters on Thursday night, May 31st. So go to the Facebook page or go to the pinned tweet that is, uh, <clears throat> that is uh, on, on the, the Twitter, uh, at Dark Secret Place on my uh, Twitter machine. So um, I, I've, I've got a, a couple good Memorial Day stories uh, to tell and, and uh, war movie uh, thoughts to pass on to you. So let me, let me start with this. Um, and maybe uh, tomorrow night for Super Hyper Local Sunday, uh, I, can, I can read some of your comments if you want to email me, uh, Brian Suits at iHeartRadio, pardon me, iHeartMedia.com. But l- let me start with this. There's two movies that I'm adamant about. Um, one that should be remade and another that should never, ever, ever be touched. And it's interesting, the, re- the backstory on this is that I hear uh, rumblings in Hollywood from people who want to remake this one movie that should never, ever, ever be touched. But <clears throat> there's another movie that is screaming to be remade. 
And it is the uh, nineteen sixty eight um, movie, The Devil's Brigade, with William Holden um, and uh, <clears throat> uh, Cliff Roberts or Cliff Robertson, whatever his name is. Uh, Richard Jackal, who was later on uh, on uh, Baywatch, I think, wasn't he? Um, and a cast of other character actors. The movie purports to tell the absolutely true story of a amazing and unique World War II U.S.-Canadian joint unit called the First Special Service Force, the FSSF. Um, they uh, wore a patch that was a red arrowhead with a with a dagger in the middle, and it said across the top, if you can imagine a T where the, the cross in the T was USA, and below USA for the uh for the body of the T it said Canada from the top down so it was a USA Canada uh joint unit they had a unique uniform uh they trained in Montana um they went to war first in the Aleutians uh, in a excursion uh sort of ill-thought excursion then they then off they went uh to Italy it's it is really an extraordinary story uh, the unit was led by an amazing Californian by the name of Robert T. Frederick, who was a West Pointer. He was from San Francisco. Um, he grew up sneaking onto the Presidio in San Francisco, uh, trying to scare the cavalry horses uh, that that would pass on parade. Uh, and in fact, he even crossed, as a boy, he crossed the path of George Marshall, uh, later on the chief of staff and the secretary of state of the United States. But Robert T. Frederick was uh, was a small guy, an amazing, amazing story. Uh, he left home at the age of 16, jumped a ship in San Francisco, and he spent a year in the Merchant Marine going to Singapore and Shanghai and Manila, like getting in knife fights and all this crap. He joined the California National Guard underage. Uh, he learned how to soldier, you know, when he was 15. He was going to Camp Roberts as a 15-year-old boy. Then he jumps ship, goes to Asia. Then he comes back to San Francisco, uh, goes to West Point. And when he left West Point, he was uh, voted on as the guy most likely to make general. And he turned out to be, in World War II, he was, uh, Winston Churchill called him the last fighting general. He was, as a brigadier general, as a one-star general, he went into combat. He was also the uh, youngest general in, uh, that we had in World War II. He was tied with James Gavin of the, the 82nd Airborne. So he's going into combat with a star on his shoulder. Um, he was half the age of William Holden, who played him in the movie. He was also half the size of William Holden. And uh, here's a clip from the actual movie Devil's Brigade, which is a absolute cartoon. Is it true that uh, all you Yanks are thieves and murderers? There's one of you, they say, that's worse than all the rest. Uh, a villainous clod who, who never ceases derogatory remarks about the Canadians. Yes. Mind the elbow, lad. Would one of you be kind enough to point out the, uh, the contemptible swine named Rocky Rockman? <laughs> You've just two seconds to make a public apology. What? Um, all right. So it's hard for me to even listen to that. So you, you might know the movie um, from, from that clip. So I, I, I personally am leading a charge to remake that movie into a, into a series, in fact. Okay, so that's the movie that needs to be remade and a story that needs to be retold. Here's a movie that should never be touched. 
Now, I don't care who the cast is because um, I, I once, I, I know someone who once said, can you imagine the cast of Ocean's Eleven remaking, doing a remake, starring in a remake of Kelly's Heroes? Hopefully you're shaking your head right now. Kelly's Heroes, uh, Clint Eastwood's movie about a, a, a wacky bank heist in, uh, at the height of World War II in Europe is one of the most guilty pleasure films of everybody I know in the military. Um, the movie was made uh, in, in the final, uh, you know, final chapters of the Vietnam War. It obviously is a thinly veiled anti-war movie, but the movie is such unbridled fun that if I don't know what meaning it had when it was made, but you watch that movie today and it's just funny. Um, the setup of the movie is real simple. Um, there's a guy, Clint Eastwood. He wears no rank. Um, they're in France. They're fighting towards Germany. It's, let's call it September 1944. Uh, and Kelly is in this reconnaissance unit. Apparently, he used to be an officer. He captures a German officer who has a briefcase with lead bars. Or are they? He scratches the lead bars. They turn out to be gold. He gets the German officer drunk. The German officer reveals that there's a bank behind enemy lines, behind German lines. There's a bank with hundreds of millions of dollars in gold bars. So Kelly, who is burnt out and cynical, and again, apparently used to be an officer, um, devises a plan where he needs tanks, artillery, and other troops to penetrate behind German lines, get to the bank, take the gold bars. That's the setup of Kelly's Heroes. The cast is absolutely sterling. Uh, Telly Savalas uh, plays it straight as a guy who is still fighting the war. He's cynical, and he uh, doesn't like the way their company commander treats him as the company commander takes a yacht, loots a yacht, and leaves the unit uh, on their own for a week. So they're free and clear there. Um, uh, Don Rickles as crap game, the supply sergeant, who is the ultimate cliche of supply sergeants. He has booze. He can get anything you want. And the funny thing about it is it's not a cliche. It's more authentic than you know. Most people in the military, you watch that movie and they say, crap game is a real guy, probably based on a real character. Donald Sutherland makes his appearance in this movie as Oddball, the tank commander. It's a, if you've never seen Kelly's Heroes, it's, it really is a hilarious and phenomenal movie. And I just pray to God no one ever, ever tries to remake this scene. Who's your commanding officer? He got decapitated by an 88 about six weeks ago. But I mean, don't say it, sorry. He's been trying to get us killed. Ever since we landed at Omaha Beach, it's terrible. I, he hasn't reported him dead yet. You see, I've been collecting his whiskey. All right, more on war movies when we come back. That's Kelly's Heroes. Don't ever touch that thing. Just absolutely perfect. Put it in the Smithsonian. Burn the DVD um, uh, and, uh, and and just burn any screenplay. Anyone who wants to remake that thing, ban them from Hollywood. It's the Dark Secret Place. Talking war movies here. Memorial Day 2018. Brian Suits here. Until midnight, KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. Michael Chappé with the news. KFI AM 640. More stimulating talk. It is the Dark Secret Place. Brian Suits in here until... Midnight, um, just um, critiquing some war movies. Uh, you know what I saw today was Midway. 
um, on, I want to say, FX. Is that it? Um, there, there's a, a couple movies that really, really did a disservice to the events that they were depicting. One of them is definitely Midway. Now, the, the, the deal is with Midway, you can't critique them for, for trying. Absolutely everybody in Hollywood in 1975 is in the movie, from Henry Fonda as Admiral Nimitz, uh, Charlton Heston, um, Eric Estrada, I believe not his, not his movie debut, but Eric Estrada is in the movie. So many stars, uh, how, uh, what's his name? <clears throat> Just a, a cavalcade of stars. Plus, uh, I will give Midway a, a gigantic piece of credit because you know, my pet peeve about war movies like Patton where the Germans well, no, I, I, I take that back. In Patton, the Germans speak German, and it's subtitled. I don't like movies where the Germans speak English to each other with a German accent. That absolutely pisses me off. So the one saving grace about Midway, because Midway pulls together stock footage. Um, you'll see a pilot like Charlton Heston or, or whoever, and they're flying a Douglas uh, SBD Dauntless Dive Bomber. In the next scene, they're flying a Corsair that's on fire. And then uh, in the next scene, a Grumman F6F Hellcat is crashing on the deck of a carrier. And, and it, there's so much contempt for the audience to not be able to tell, to not, not see with your own naked eye that these are different airplanes and you're just going through old stock color footage of World War II and you're just editing together. Uh, different planes being shot down and you're making me, you're acting like I think it's the same plane and it's really annoying. Of course, in this day and age, um, you would redo it with CGI. Uh, there's enough flyable planes um, in Chino, um, you know, Corsairs and a whole thing. You could redo Midway really well and it really deserves it because that was the pivotal battle of the Pacific War. That was the battle that turned the Japanese around and it was only six months after Pearl Harbor. It was, it's an amazing story and it needs to be told better than that movie midway. The one saving grace, the one thing where I will give them credit is they absolutely went through the book of Hollywood and they found every Japanese American actor and they cast him as, cast those guys as the Japanese, uh, naval staff commanders and Admiral Yamamoto. Admiral Yamamoto is of course the great Toshiro Mifune, uh, the iconic Japanese actor, he, he's dubbed very badly. Midway, the most important cast of the year in the screen's magnificent triumph. Charlton Heston is Captain Matt Garth. They took the bait, Admiral. AF has to be Midway Island. Henry Fonda is Admiral Chester Nimitz. Our three carriers and their escorts are all the stands between the enemy fleet and the American coastline. James Coburn is Captain Maddox. You're wrong, Admiral. If you send our carriers into a Japanese ambush, the entire West Coast and the Hawaiian Islands will be wide open for invasion. Glenn Ford is Admiral Spruance. Al Holbrook is Commander Rochefort. Toshiro Mafuni is Admiral Yamamoto. Robert Mitchell is Admiral Halsey. Cliff Robertson is Commander Jessup. Robert Wagner is Lieutenant Commander Blake. So there you go. That is the uh, trailer, the 1976 trailer. 
uh, to uh, Midway and Cliff Robertson as Commander Jessup. But I mean, you heard that cast, right? It's it's just amazing. But uh, the movie is is uh, is such a strikeout. And uh, and a quick heads up, by the way, <clears throat> if um uh if you th- ever have to sit through the movie Pearl Harbor, the Michael Bay uh, movie with Josh Hartnett and uh, and Ben. Uh, what's his name? Batman. Um, that's a horrible movie. It's a really terrible movie. But the actual Pearl Harbor uh, attack is really good. <clears throat> it's great effects, great CGI. Uh, and it's just that the movie surrounding leading up to it, you have to sit through an hour and a half of just an absolute crap movie. Um, so I wouldn't recommend it. But but uh, if you've never seen it, just fast forward to the Pearl Harbor attack. Fast forward to the part where uh, Josh Hartnett gets to Oahu. Um, if if you want a pro tip, by the way, in 2011 in Japan, they made a film about their legendary admiral, Isoroku Yamamoto, uh, who, who was a genius um, and we respected so much in the war that we assassinated him. We shot him down when we had broke the Japanese code and we shot his plane down um, because we didn't want to deal with the guy. We would rather deal with uh, the the next guy in line, uh, but Yamamoto was a certified genius. Well, the Japanese have every reason in the world to be proud of him, as they should be. And in 2011, a Japanese film called Isoroku Yamamoto uh, was released. It is really, really good. And I know for some of you, you can't put aside the fact that we were uh, Japan was our enemy in World War II and all that. But if if you can put that aside and just appreciate a movie. Um, in Japanese with Japanese actors, like I was just complaining about, then you might want to check out Isoroku Yamamoto, 2011 Japanese film. Their version of the Pearl Harbor attack, by the way, is 10 times better than the movie Pearl Harbor, uh, using the same facts, by the way. So, all right, we'll take a break and come back. I've got a really unusual war story for you here from Memorial Day. I'll get into it when we come back. Uh, Dark Secret Place, Brian sits in here till midnight. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. Michael Chappé with the news. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk. Uh, the Dark Secret Place, Brian sits in here until midnight. Uh, Monday is the official recognition of Memorial Day. I'll be uh, in for John and Ken. Um, and uh, I, I really I really do urge people to, if, especially if you have kids, kids maybe around the 10, 11, 12 years old age, uh, to go out to a Memorial Day observance or maybe take them to Westwood. Uh, you know, that, that National Cemetery right off 405, uh, you you drive up north on 405 and you look to your right and it just, you know, getting a glimpse of it is really, really moving. I'm, I'm glad that the VA has never put a, a sound wall, you know, or a tree wall or something so you, you can't see it. But um, there's, some, there's some pretty extraordinary uh, graves there. Some of them, you know, they go back to uh, the Civil War <clears throat> or rather Civil War veterans. Uh, who died out here in L.A., and uh, and they're buried there. Of course, as I've, I've told the story before, if you've ever seen the movie Jeremiah Johnson, the Robert Redford Mountain Man movie, great movie, by the way, I wouldn't remake it. I'd redo the sound, but I wouldn't remake the movie. But it's based on a true story, uh, a, an, an actual guy uh, by the name, who, who who was nicknamed Crow Killer Johnston because the, the crow killed his wife, uh, as depicted in the movie, but she was pregnant. They didn't have a kid. There was an infant skeleton in her skeleton. And so 
Uh, Johnston set about going to war with the entire Crow Nation. Uh, they made peace uh, years later. He was uh, in his 60s. He was a sniper for the Union in the Civil War, came out to Los Angeles, and he died at the, uh, the VA in Westwood, uh, the old, the old uh, grounds of the VA, and he's buried there at the Westwood Cemetery, the actual guy who, was, who Robert Redford portrays in that movie. But I would really, I would urge you to take your kids, and if you don't want to go to some, you know, uh, official observance, uh, uh, you know, take take some flowers with your kids, park, walk around, uh, read the headstones. They kind of tell their own story, um, and you know, pick a grave and leave some flowers on it. Uh, you know, something as simple as that. Uh, your your kids will remember. They, they will remember, uh, you know, the, the veneration that, that you have for that. Um, uh, I, I look back, it's funny, uh, I didn't really appreciate how extraordinary my dad was until I myself went to my first war, which was the Gulf War, and I was a, a medic with the 2nd Armored Cavalry Regiment. My dad in World War II was a Navy corpsman. Um, he was on some, um, <clears throat> some, some smaller island campaigns. But uh, the, the big dog was Okinawa in February 1945. My dad came from a really poor family in Olathe, Kansas, and he lied about his age when he was 16. Uh, when he went to the Pacific, he was 17. I have a picture of him coming out of uh, whatever it is, Great Lakes Naval Training Center when he was in Navy basic training. And, I mean, he looks like me when I was 15. It's amazing. And so he gets to the Pacific, and he was... Uh, with what they called at the time the Second Marine Division, um, he uh, lands on Okinawa as a corpsman. Okinawa, if you don't know, let me give you the short version. It was some of the most intense and deadly ground combat for American forces in all of World War II, certainly uh, since the Civil War. It was a meat grinder for the Marine Corps and the Navy. Pardon me, for the Marine Corps and the Army. The Army was half of the uh, Okinawa. Uh, force. And the reason is because Okinawa was the first actual province of Japan that we set foot on. All the other islands the Japanese had conquered, or <clears throat> they were colonies like Iwo Jima. Iwo Jima was a volcano. The Japanese, they fought like devils, but it wasn't Japan. When we landed on Okinawa, that was Japan. The, uh, and we got a taste of how the Japanese would fight if we invaded the main two islands, Honshu and Kyushu, which was the plan for fall of 1945 and spring of 1946. Um, and my, my dad never really talked about Okinawa, and I didn't really know enough to ask him about it. All I knew was that he was a corpsman, uh, and growing up, as I did in Oahu, in, in Hawaii, uh, we would go to the National Cemetery of the Pacific called the Punch Bowl. Um, and my street that I grew up on was... Uh, half Japanese. They were Japanese Americans. All my friends growing up, their dads were in the original Japanese American unit, the 100th Infantry Battalion, which was the Hawaii Army National Guard. Later on, it was plussed up with a bunch of Californians, and it was called the 442nd Regimental Combat Team. But the nucleus of the unit were the guys who were already in the Army National Guard uh, in December of 1940 when FDR called up the Guard for a year. Um, and the, these were giants of men. I mean, these guys, uh, my, my friend Derek Goto, his father had five Purple Hearts. Um, he refused uh, a chance to come back stateside. He lost two older brothers in Italy. 
uh, and he refused to use the lone survivor rule um, and came back to Hawaii uh, with a silver star, bronze star with V device and five purple hearts. And it was years later that when I came back from the Gulf War, from the first Gulf War as, as a medic, that I, I realized that my father, having survived Okinawa and seeing the Japanese on that island fight to the death and also the civilians being part of the fight, the Japanese were strapping dynamite to Japanese civilians and the civilians were willingly walking into Marine lines and blowing themselves up. This is very accurately depicted in the HBO uh, series, The Pacific. Uh, the fight, it's the second to the last, I think it's two episodes, but Okinawa is just a harrowing, harrowing episode, um, in, in that series. And my dad looked at it for about five minutes and he said, yep, that's it. Um, and the thing I realized years later was that after world war II, my, my dad, who went on to become a, uh, a Navy, uh, radio man after the war, he joined uh, the federal organization that would become the FAA. My dad was a uh, air traffic controller for years and we lived in a Japanese neighborhood, but it was a Japanese American neighborhood. And my dad never, ever, ever, you, you always hear stories of people saying, um, yeah, after being in the Marine Corps, my dad never wanted to buy a Japanese car. And, um, he, he could never stand that. Or I, my, we never, never drove a German car, whatever. Um, my dad did not hold a grudge, didn't care. Uh, when I when I was 12 years old, my girlfriend was Jocelyn Oishi, um, and my parents didn't care. They did not care. My my dad saw just absolute horrors on Okinawa, both you know not just as a corpsman, but in the combat that he saw there, and he chose to make his life in Honolulu, uh, in a Japanese neighborhood after the war. And and it was years later that I put that together. And I realized, man, that is some perspective on the part of my dad to be able to separate what he did in the war, what he saw in the war with our neighbors in Hawaii who were in Europe, in Italy, France, and Germany fighting for the U.S. Army um, and becoming the most decorated unit in, in American history and, and not, you know, ever holding some kind of racist grudge, which he never, ever, ever did. I, I had the, uh, luckily I had the, the self-awareness to tell him this, you know, years later when I, we, you know, sitting down and I told him, you know what I realized, um, <clears throat> you never displayed one ounce of prejudice or racism, uh, ever in my life. And I grew up as a minority. I grew up, I was one of like three, three white kids, uh, three white families that were on Puamamani street, me and my older brother, and then Jonathan smart. And we were the only white kids on the street, but Hawaii is such a, you know, such a panoply. There's no like majority of people. So no one really knows that someone is something else, but, uh, that, that was something that it took me years to realize how extraordinary my dad was, uh, after that, he died a few years ago. Uh, and luckily, uh, I had, I had the, uh, the foresight to tell him this. I don't have any regrets about that. Um, all right. We'll be back in just a minute. Uh, the dark secret place Memorial day weekend, 2018, Brian suits in here till midnight. KFI AM640, more stimulating talk. Michael Chappay with the news. KFI AM640, more stimulating talk. It is the uh, dark secret place here, Memorial Day 2018. Brian sits in here one last time. And uh, 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 a, la a last war story, last Memorial Day story. Um, when, uh, when I went to field artillery officer's basic course, 
in the uh, in the summer of 2003, uh, I went into a class in July of 2003 that was filled with West Pointers who had just gotten out of four years of prison, or as we called them, Point Westers. And they were not in the real army. West Point's not the real army. These guys got a, a month off. They got a $25,000 interest-free loan, um, you know, all this stuff. So they're showing up at Fort Hill, Oklahoma. Uh, it's their first time uh, in a month being in uniform. And there was there were 10 guys like me, 10 National Guard prior sergeants who were now officers. There were 10 Marines, 10 Marine officers going through artillery school. And then there was 140 Point Westers, right? And we divided up alphabetically. You know, uh, first platoon was uh, like uh, like A, A through L. Uh, second pl- platoon was, was uh, you know, N through R. And then uh, third platoon was S through Z. So there was a guy right after me alphabetically by, by the name of Brandon Titus. And he was a total surfer dude from Ojai, California. Uh, I guess he was some kind of all-CIF quarterback at Ojai. Um, and a great spirit, really good guy, really affable, you know, friendly guy, great sense of humor. Didn't really seem like what, what you would normally see, think of as a West Point graduate. But because we fell together alphabetically, we, we were part of the same study group. Six of us would come to my rented house in Lawton, Oklahoma. I'd, I'd have, you know, beer and barbecue and five guys would show up, uh, Raphael, Titus, um, and, you know, and other guys, the other guys who were S through Z and we would study, knock out our homework, the whole thing. <clears throat> and then, you know, whatever, go out, hit a bar in my case, go to sleep. Uh, and, and so me and Brandon Titus got, a, got to be uh, good friends. And then, uh, the, uh, the course ends, we all go our different ways. I immediately deployed to Iraq with, with, uh, with my, uh, um, uh, unit from the Washington army national guard. And when I got to Iraq, it became a habit every night to just simply read the names on the casualty list. I was in Iraq, uh, the two deadliest months of the entire war on terror since 9-11-2001. The two deadliest months uh, were March of 2004 and November of 2004. And I was in Iraq for those, for those months. And, and some of the days uh, um, were, were really horrific because medicine was so good. We had a lot of uh, a lot of people survived wounds that normally uh, in the Gulf War, they wouldn't have survived. So, so where you see 10 dead on a certain day in March of 04, it probably should have been 40 dead. Um, but they were hard months. But every night, if I had a chance, I went online and I looked for the casualty list just because I was wondering if anyone I knew uh, had died. And that's how I learned that my buddy Mike Vega from Sacramento died, um, my OCS buddy, my buddy uh, Andre Tyson here from Los Angeles was assassinated by one of his own Iraqi troops uh, w- when I was there. Um, a, another OCS buddy, Eric McRae, uh, was killed across the river from me in Sauter City. And so one night I saw the name Brandon Titus and I just was bummed. I went, man, that sucks. Guy's 23. All his whole life is in front of him. Now I was 39 uh, at the time uh, and, a, and a first lieutenant. And I'm bummed because this kid who I, you know, hope to, you know, catch up with after the war or whatever. He's dead. But I put it out of my mind. I've got uh, 13 more months to go. Lost more friends. Come back to Seattle. <clears throat> come out of, uh, uh, you know, demob- demobilized out of the Army. And I restart my life in talk radio. Um, a couple years go by. Like, um, so, so it goes from 
2005, fast forward to uh, 2011, and a buddy of mine moved to Seattle with his new wife to work at Microsoft. And we reconnect, and we're talking on Facebook, and um, hey, let's get together. Hey, let's uh, go swim in the ocean. Let's drink a beer. Let's go to a Seahawks game, whatever. And I forgot what it was, but we got around to the subject of friends in common who had died. And we went down the list, and I said, oh, yeah, man, that sucks about Titus. And he said, what are you talking about? And I said, yeah, Brandon Titus, man. Did, didn't, you didn't see that? It was like in September of 04. And so my, my buddy Justin says, no, he didn't, he didn't die. I don't know what you're talking about. And I looked it up online because at the time in 2004, I didn't have a, there was not a rank or a hometown. And I thought, well, what are the odds, you know, that someone else named Brandon Titus would happen to be there? Well, I looked it up, uh, you know, years later as I'm on the phone with, with, uh, with our mutual friend. And sure enough, a guy I never met, an enlisted kid, an E4 named Specialist Brandon Titus was killed in 2004. And I never followed up. I just saw so many names of guys that I knew who died, and I, I didn't follow it up. And so when I came back to KFI, when I came back to Los Angeles, uh, I mean, I, I called him the next day. Uh, and uh, when I came back to L.A., uh, we became buddies again because he's alive. He's not dead. And uh, there he is in Ohio. He's a solar engineer. He's got a son. And uh, my wife and I and our daughter, we go out there all the time, and we play in their lovely pool. Uh, and I told my, my daughter the story, and I said, well, your Uncle Brandon is really special because Daddy thought he was dead for six years. And it's almost like we're friends all over again because it turns out he's alive. So anyway, that is uh, my weird Memorial Day story, true story. <clears throat> uh, we'll uh, be back tomorrow night, 8 p.m. for Super Hyper Local Sunday. Uh, Brian Sue's out here, Dark Secret Place. Everyone have a good, poignant, thoughtful Memorial Day 2018. KFI AM 640, more stimulating talk.